Welcome to Team Talk, Episode 6, the Everyday Justice Edition. So today I'm sitting here with John Skeepers. No. Sheepers. Close. Close. No, no, no. Okay, now we're just going to Skippers. Okay, all right. Skippers. So if I say that like an American, does it still count? Or do I must I change the way that I speak? Well, do you want... Well, if you want to interact with different cultures, we learn names are key for everyone. I'm a bit relaxed, okay. but uh, I That's think it's a key, key way to that. understand that, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, John... Uh, so this is going out to the world. The world <laughs> sees this. No. The world. Um, a, lo- a lot of our friends in America, okay. friends in Europe, throughout Africa. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe just give us an idea about who you are. I've invited you onto the podcast, and you've graciously come because we're having a little event this weekend. Right. So my name is John Skippers. Uh, I am the founder of this Pomano Center for Biblical Justice. Uh, we are aiming to help the church respond uh, to issues of racial and economic injustice in South Africa with gospel-centered, cross-centered, contextual theology and exploring that and saying what does it mean to be God's people in God's place uh, in this time. I'm a born and bred uh, South African. I've lived in Cape Town uh, predominantly most of my life. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. What else do you want to know? I'm married. I have two children. Um, all of that I want to know. All of that you want to know that. Uh, How long have you been married? I've been married 15 years. Ooh, yeah. Okay, good. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm just going to act I, th- like I think you need your... to congratulate my wife. <laughs> okay, I will, I will. <laughs> Tomorrow I will. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to act like it's your anniversary today, though. Okay, you can do that. Okay, cool. And um, we're actually recording in the Mountain View office space today. Mm-hmm. I wanted to record at the Airbnb. Right. Uh, just because the Holy Spirit's there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you like that stained glass window. I, I do, man. It, yeah. It's a beautiful stained glass window. Right, right. So, John, uh, on the podcast, uh, what we often do, other than bicker with one another, is... <laughs> I can fight. <laughs> is um, we examine, you know, kind of where we're at as a church plant right now, or we look at different cultural issues going right. on. Um one thing that we've been having going on in Hermanus right now is, uh, I, I don't even know what you call it. Right. We'll call them land disputes. We'll call them um, fires and chaos. Right. right. Uh, and just recently, Issa Pombano did a uh, land restitution forum. Right. And I know that we talked about this, you and I, last night. But right. maybe you could talk to me a little bit about what that was. What is the whole land issue here? Right. So, <laughs> what is the land issue? Right, a nice simple question to get us started. I think, um, and, I, and I think it's, it's, it's not uncommon in, in other places, but in South Africa we have a history of um, land being reserved. Uh, so 87% of the land, I mean, we're just talking about apartheid, we're not talking about the colonialism here where uh, land was taken, supposedly empty land was taken uh, from the Khoisan and other uh, tribes. But we, if we focus specifically on apartheid where there was a determined intentional effort uh, and legally uh, white people who made up less than 10% of the country uh, owned 87% of the land. And black people who were, I mean, the vast majority, I think something like 80-odd percent of the, of, of, of the population, 
at that time owned 13% of the land. Some of that land wasn't particularly arable, some of it wasn't particularly desirable, uh, and by law, legally, they had to live on that land. Um, uh, even though there were systems like migrant labor where people were able to come and work um, on the mines and certain things like that. But they were never actually regarded. So even though you went uh, hundreds of kilometers away from your home and you worked on the mines or you worked in other industries and, and men lived in uh, hostile compounds with other men far away from their families, you can imagine the kind of social ills that kind of thing brings, <laughs> the kind of social temptations that brings. Um, in fact, we know from documenting the men ended up having two families because yeah. effectively they lived away from their, their first family for so long. Um, maybe going, maybe going home once a year. Yeah. Um, and but they were never actually regarded as citizens of that place, yeah. even though they were contributing to the economic well-being, even though they were working there, and living there, and uh, com- uh, contributing to the economy there. So I mean, that's just like a, a small taste of it, and um, and eventually then we. We, we had you know certain areas reserved for certain people within the cities, and still today our cities are built around that segregation. Um, in Cape Town, where I live, which is Hermanus is close to that, um, you know the railway lines and highways divide our city up into different population groups. We had a, a crazy classification system where you were defined in a certain sector of population group. Did, uh, based on character, uh, certain uh, physical characteristics and how curly your hair was or how light your skin was or ridiculous things like that. And so we're dealing with that legacy. Yeah. Uh, we haven't undone that legacy. So still the majority of wealth and power and land in South Africa is owned by white people. In fact, the, uh, there was a recent land audit and I think it's something like 70-odd percent of land in South Africa is still owned by wealthy white people. By white people. So, so you can understand there's a lot of, of frustration, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of injustice. We're 24, 24 years, yeah, I can do my maths, into a, a new democracy, yeah. but still not a lot has changed. So, so these are the tensions that are going on, and there's some understandable historical struggles around that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it's good. Um, so... For instance, even today we're having some. Mm. Uh, I, I I never know what to call them. It's not a protest. Yeah, it's a protest. It's a we'll protest. call it a protest. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, just outside of town, uh, making sure that people are slowed down getting in and out of town. Right. Um, but last week in particular, we had all the roads. And you're right, two roads in and out of town yeah. shut down, <laughs> um, and. The only way to get to where my kids go to school was to go through kind of the heart of the township. Mm. And um, even though that was comfortable for me, right. and that's something that we do regularly, uh, for a lot of people, that's not going no. to happen. No. Because uh, that's someone else. That's not my space. Yeah. That's someone else's space. Absolutely, and yeah. We don't want them in ours, yeah. and we're not going to go into theirs. Yeah. Uh, and South African society was set up to keep us apart, to keep us ignorant, to keep us divided. And that is not an uncommon experience yeah. for many white South Africans, even my, my, my own age, younger, older. They've never been in a township. They've never been into the area we call Cape Flats where mixed race people would live. Yeah. They've never been. They know about it and they know all sorts of things about it, supposedly. Sure, yeah. But never been, never experienced it um, which is not true for black people because black people have been into white spaces. They've been forced to adapt. They've been forced to work. They've been forced to be in, in white people's homes and businesses, working always. So I think black people know a lot about white people in white spaces. 
and white people generally know very little about it. Yeah. So that experience, it, it actually, it saddens me, but doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always funny to me because I, even though being American, mm. uh, definitely has its drawbacks and its, uh, its, its good sides of it, right. you know, I seem to be able to make friends with everyone, even though I, almost everyone maybe doesn't know exactly what I'm all about or right. whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, long story short, though, I find it interesting that because of a little bit of distance from that history, mm-hmm. I'm able to come in and, for instance, a mutual friend now, Unati. Right. Uh, last week I saw him. I invited him to the Everyday Justice Conference. Right. And I said, Unati, I have no guarantees that any of my other black friends are going to come. Right. I need you to come to protect me from all the white people. <laughs> and now he laughed at that because right. uh, he under—I don't understand that that right. feeling. Right. Uh, he understands that yeah, feeling. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just a little joke that looks yeah. at the yeah uh, the the depth of that issue. Yeah. Right. I, I think, and I and I've said it, and and I say this quite a lot in our ministry. As I just say, is that I think. White people, uh, myself included, I mean, I'm a middle-aged white guy, so I, I'm in no means above or separate to this. I'm no means some kind of guru. Uh, I'm just someone who's trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ in this context. And uh, white people, we have a vested interest in remaining ignorant. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and so very often we don't even know because we are ignorant, because we were designed to be ignorant, that's what apartheid did, kept us separate, had separate education systems, separate lived experiences, separate communities, so that we were never as a group actually interacting with one another. Certainly white people who, who had the power and authority to change things, possibly, yeah. um, if they had, were never done that, were never interacting with black people as a group um, and being able to question those things. And so... As well, I mean, we weren't allowed to talk about politics or religion in school. It yeah. was like just shut down. Yeah. Um, and be- because of that, uh, as well, and there was brilliantly, it was designed. We were mm. designed to be ignorant. We have vested interests, and so by so at the same time as remaining ignorant, we were building up this the, the, this position of of, of comfort, yeah. of of prestige, of wealth, of power, um, and those things are very hard to give up. Yeah. And so. While well, the same time as being ignorant, once you start becoming aware of these things, you're actually, you're implicated, yeah. but you're also required. The cost is so much higher. Yeah. So I, I don't think the, the architects of apartheid were fools. Yeah. I think they knew what they were doing. And sadly enough, they were very good at what they did. Yeah. Um, and we've now got to, as a society, think about how do we intentionally change that? How do we intentionally undo uh, this this evil system in here. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, um, and we were talking a little bit about schooling the other day, mm. uh, which I step into this conversation as an outsider. So forgive me. Um, <laughs> basically every conversation that John and I have, I say, Oh, by the way, I'm an American. Forgive right. me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but even I remember when we we're getting ready to send our son to the primary school. Right. Here, oh. And, um, uh, well, this is just a, it might seem like an in a totally innocent remark. And I, and I understand that maybe I'm reading, maybe I'm being too sensitive, John, but it was school uniforms were being discussed. Right. And part of the South African school uniforms for athletic uniform is white shoes. Right, right. Um, and I just remember the headmaster saying, 
Now, you must remember that shoes must be at least 80% white. What? And everyone's just like, mmm, mmm. And then he's like, which is just a good rule of thumb. Wow. And then moved on. Wow. Um, now, that's just... Well, it's just a good rule of thumb for shoes, right? I guess so. Is it? <laughs> if you live in a community where your roads are tired and you uh, yeah. have access to running water, which is not a given for everyone, yeah. uh, it may be just a miracle that you have shoes. In fact. Yeah, that's true. Um, so that, that in itself shows... Uh, I mean, and, and now maybe, yeah, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I just think it's a, cl- it's a classic comment where, where white people don't understand that there's a completely different reality yeah. where there are people in our communities, like r- living right next door, who don't, who can't afford shoes. Yeah. I, I, I know kids like that. And you're like, yeah, it's great to keep your shoes clean. I yeah. think it's better if you just have shoes sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's that. <laughs> Plus the under the, the inevitable racial undertones. I mean, I'm like, that is just I, it's I, par for the course. I mean, I don't condone it, but it's yeah. it's it's par for the course. I um, laughed out loud, and uh, Tara Tara pretended that she wasn't laughing out loud. Right, but, right. Yeah, this is the reality. I mean, I was saying last night as well at our Everyday Justice. I think we we live in a racialized society, in a highly racialized society, where where people with value judgments, where um, expectations of people are made based on the color of your skin, very much so. I mean, those narratives, those expectations are rife in society, and and those and it goes both ways. Yeah. Um, but very often, and for black people, it's very often an inferior inferiority judgment upon themselves. Yeah. Um, and a superiority judgment upon white people because that's the way they've been taught at the same time white people have been taught this superiority thing Um, and I'm going to be honest it's in the church too and it's it's all over the church and as a church uh, certainly as a society we haven't done a lot of thinking about how do we undo this and as a church I think we've kind of just we, we've done very little thinking. We kind of have a, a, I like to say, a magical Jesus approach, kind of like, <laughs> like we think, hey, we, came, we became a Christian, and now suddenly all the stuff that was inbuilt in us in, and, and taught to us, and, and we were trained in this way of thinking and this being, now suddenly we come to Jesus, and yeah. it's all gone, which of course is just bad theology, because yeah. I don't believe that about any other aspect. I don't believe about my greed, my pride my struggle with sexual purity, any of that. It's like, I've got to, like those things I've got to work at, I've got to strive, I've got to root out those things. And, and we, we need to believe that about our sinfulness as well. We need to believe it about those kind of comments. We're like, ah, it could be innocent. I'm like, no, no. Yeah. That's, that is, <laughs> that is what you've been trained in. Yeah. And you, we, we've got to find those comments. Where, so what's the root of that? Let's, let's apply the gospel to that. Say, where do I believe that? Where, how does that honor Jesus? Um, anyway. Now, John, um, the, I mean, I, I'm being a little bit facetious now. Okay. I, I have, I have a black friend. Right. 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 And I know from that black friend that, well, I highly doubt that those people would like to come into a white church. Right. Um, isn't that a legitimate, like they don't need to come to a white church. They have their own churches. Why would this be a problem? Well, yeah, that's true. I think I think it's exactly true. Is that I don't think black people want to come to a white church. But can you hear the problem in that statement? I know you can't because you're being because you're, you're baiting me here. But I'm just like to so people listening. But can you hear the problem in this? Yeah. Like, 
a white church? Mm-hmm. Where does such a thing exist in the New Testament? Where does such a thing exist in Scripture? You see, the problem is we've made church a white space that, uh, that, uh, that uplifts our cultural values, our cultural norms, yeah. our ways of doing and thinking and being, our understanding of leadership, all, all these kind of things, which are, which are not per se wrong. I mean, there's, there's some stuff we need to work through, but that's any culture. But they're not per se wrong, but they're not, but they're not the only way of doing things often. And sometimes, because in South Africa, I just want to say, I think there are some very wrong roots of some of that stuff. Sure. Because of the culture, because of, again, this training and this, the, the, this, this way of thinking and living and doing that we've all imbibed. Yeah. I always like to say to people, no one got a lot out of apartheid alive. Yeah. Um, so what we actually need to do is we need to actually stop and say, not, like if we say, well, black people wouldn't come to a white church, we need to stop and go, wait, this is a problem that we're a white church. What would it mean to be a church that reflects the diversity and the beauty and the reality of Christ's body where the dividing walls of hostility are down? Yeah. Where, uh, where, 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 Paul and Peter can, where, where Paul can eat with the Gentiles, uh, where we can change cultural dynamics and, and there can just be a, a, a meeting of one another. Mm-hmm. And one new man, one humanity being created um, out of the two that were previously hostile towards one another. Yeah. So... Now, is that an easy answer? No, I don't have an easy answer. I don't have like do one, two, three. But that, but is, is it going to be an answer that reflects so much more of Christ, so much more of the gospel, so much more of what is actually done in the world where he's saying, how will these people ever come together? Yeah. And that's, that's been going on since, I mean, Jews, Gentiles, Babylonians, uh, Persians, Medes, like that, that's yeah. the history of the world. And the mystery of the gospel is that in Christ, <laughs> they come together. Yeah. And so... And I think there's a religious component to Jews and Gentiles, but I think it's just an absolute cultural, racial component. And yeah. so in South Africa, we say, how will blacks and whites ever come together? The gospel of Jesus. Yeah. So we need to say, we don't need white churches. We don't need black. black churches, I want to tell you, are often a survival mechanism for, for black right. people. They're like, we can't be part of this church, so we need to form our own churches. Yeah. So yeah. what if those of us who have the power and the, 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 the ability to, to, to well, not the ability, but the power and the means, we say, what if we changed our churches? And then, and in that way, we said, like, we'll come into the space where you're an equal, where you have voice, where you have uh, worth, where you have value, where you, you can be in a leadership position, where you can question things. That's going to change things. Yeah. And you know what's going to happen? The world is going to look at, at the church and go, we've been trying to do these things. We can't get them right. Give us a reason for the hope that you have. How yeah. can you get this right? At that point, you say, let me tell you about Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a beautiful picture. Yeah. But we've got to be intentional about it. It's going to take hard work and sweat and toil. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's so amazing to me. I mean, John, we're not, uh, and we, you know, I've been talking about it, and you've mm. been giving me some really just helpful advice and encouragements and so on and so forth. But um, this is what we're trying to do with right. Mountain View Hermanus. Yeah. And I am astounded. Um, Flummoxed, I don't know what other word to use, every week when I step into church and our black brothers and sisters are there yeah, and just how patient they are with yeah. me. The guy up front preaching like a white guy, right. uh, praying like a white guy. Right, right. Um, and yeah, I mean, it would be, it would be easy for me to step back. Uh, because I get to spend a lot of time, not just in the Word, but studying the Word mm-hmm. and digging down deep into it um, to step back and say, well, you know, my, my black brothers and sisters that are at our church don't have as much uh, biblical knowledge right. and training and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. 
but the kind of patience that they show to me Whoa. every single week shows a kind of maturity oh, yeah. that I don't have. Yeah. I would be I would be standing up pointing at the preacher. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I mean I think and I th- that's such a great comment actually because I think black people in this country and black Christians in this country have have shown such an incredible patience with white people who not only are we are we generally as white people are we slow to change mm-hmm. we want, we're not even admitting that we need to change yeah. we're saying what's the big deal 1994's come you've got the vote uh, everyone has equal opportunity it doesn't work like that there are structures and systems that have been deliberately and intentionally put in place to oppress one group of people and to uplift and to benefit another Yeah. and we can all have the vote we can all have in theory be able to go to university but if you don't have the access and the means if you don't have food in your stomach if you don't have tax if you live so far from the university if you don't have the money and then the generational wealth and all those kind of things you are on such a disadvantage that and yes some people will manage to do it by sheer will and power and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and those are the exceptions. Yeah. And we can't let those people... We're going to say those are the exceptions, but you know, most people don't even have boots. Yeah. And that's what we've got to realize. Um, are your boots 80% white? That well, is yeah. what I want well, to I know. I don't even have boots, so I can't pull myself up. And white people constantly say these unhelpful, yeah. uh, just unkind, uncaring things that come from... From our world where we're like, of course you have boots. I've always had boots. I'm, I'm, I always tell people, I'm a working... I come from a working class white background. I mean, I... I, I lived in a caravan. Okay. Okay. So I'm that guy. Okay. You know the guy you character that there's caricatures about. I'm that guy, and I had boots. Yeah. And I had access to opportunities, and uh, and resources and networks that the majority of my black friends just have not had. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm not a particularly uh, wealthy, privileged, if you want to use that. A white person, but I am immensely privileged, and I've benefited so much from apartheid. Yeah. And so I've got, I've got to own that. I've got to acknowledge that. And you know, when we fail to do that, when black people are sharing their pain with us, and they're saying we're, we're, we're still excluded from the system, we still don't have land, we still don't have access to resources, we're, our voices are still not taken seriously in this church when we're raising issues. And then they keep coming back every week. That is a patience way beyond what we deserve. Yeah. And as a patience that I think is going to run out one day yeah. and it's starting to run out. And you know what? Woe to us mm-hmm. if we as white people sit and say, you see, these guys, they're just angry and mean and, and whatever. <laughs> and they don't love Jesus. Yeah. I think yeah. God's going to say, woe to you because yeah. they waited and they prayed and they cried and they lamented and they shared and you would not listen. Woe to you. Yeah. Um, so... That, that's something I carry really deeply in going, I am experiencing a patience and a love and a service from my black brothers and sisters way beyond what I deserve. Yeah. And I need, to, I, I need to actually respect that. I need to honor that. And I need to be so grateful for that. Yeah. Um, we're, we're a country that transitioned from a oppressive system of apartheid to a robust democracy without a civil war. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. Reality. Yeah, let's let's not take that gift for granted. Yeah, and in the church, we have even more reason to to that because we follow Jesus. Yeah, the one with all the power and all the might who laid that down to love and serve us and die in our place. So yeah. I'm just like, 
Yeah, we, we need to recognize the patience that has been given. It's the gift that has been given us. Yeah. Um, and respond appropriately. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to have to close up here. I know that you have to finish... Uh, Getting ready. Uh, maybe sorry, I, I, think I've been preach- I think I've been preaching to everyone. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I, I'll just share one last story. You know, yeah. uh, Aislinn turned five last week, and one of our dear friends uh, who um, is not like us and right. has experiences experienced things very differently than we right. have, uh, Tara asked her, what, what do you remember from, from your fifth birthday or being five? Mm. And um, she just said that she remembered... Uh, her sisters being in charge of her and needing to go to school and they couldn't just let her like be free for the day. Wow. She couldn't go to school yet. And so she, um, they would make a big bowl of pop or kind of like, uh, pasty grits for Americans here and, um, and lock her in the house. Yep. And she would stay there until everyone got back from school or work at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's her memories as a five-year-old and Aislinn's memories as a five-year-old are joyous and they are new boots. Oh, strange. Oh, my daughter has boots. I know. There it is. The the stereotype fulfilled. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, The boots episode. Yeah, the (laughs) boots. So all that to say that... um, Sure. That's all I have to say. Mm. Yeah. John, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. You got any last words? Did I'm, you use all your words? Yeah, I think I'm good for now. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, signing off then. Uh, goodbye, teammates. We'll talk to you soon. Tara sends her love. She turns 32 today. My old lady. Uh, I mean, my fair lady. Ah, oh, man, I messed it up again. All right. I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> all right, we'll talk to you later.